Happy Sunday, church family, and welcome to all of our guests who are listening in, maybe for the first time this weekend. Uh, We are in week two of a series called Follow Me, and as we get the message started today, I want to ask you a question. If you could meet one famous person, currently alive or deceased, who would you want to meet? As you think about this for a moment, also consider how far you'd be willing to go and what you would be willing to do to meet that person. So growing up, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. I have a lot of great memories uh, from my childhood, spending time with my grandpa and my grandma. Um, I remember my grandma having a CD player in the kitchen. She loves to listen to music while she cooks. And she was always listening to either Vince Gill or Alan Jackson. I don't know why I remember this so clearly, but I do. And if I had to guess, I think one of these two country singers would be her choice for sure. I don't know what it is about country music in my family. Personally, I'm not a big country music fan, but I also remember my uncle listening to Shania Twain a lot. Now, this was the 90s, and my uncle was single, so to be honest, I don't think it was just her music that he liked, but since we're in church, we're going to say it was because of her music. I know for a fact that this is who my uncle would choose to meet. At one point, I think he was even convinced that he was going to marry her. It was kind of a joke in the family. Well, I asked my wife this question this past week, and her answer didn't surprise me at all. Um, Three of my wife's favorite pastimes are cooking, knitting, and reading. Um, She would be the first one to tell you that she's basically an 80-year-old grandma stuck in a 30-year-old's body. Um, She loves to read. She loves to knit. She loves to cook. And when it comes to reading, she really likes classic literature, among other genres. And uh, two of her favorite authors are Jane Austen and C.S. Lewis. Um, If she could meet one famous person, I think she'd have a hard time choosing between these two people. Uh, Now, the kids are actually being asked this same question this morning, and I think some of them were asked this question on Wednesday night as well, so I've already heard a few of their answers. One of the kids' answer was Aaron Rodgers. So if you attend, you know, church here in person, I bet it's pretty easy to guess which kid picked the Packers quarterback. Um, One of the kids said, whoever invented pizza. Man, I think that was a great answer. I love pizza. I don't know about you, but that'd be pretty cool to meet the inventor of pizza. Um, One of the other kids said George Washington. You know, that's a pretty sophisticated answer. So now that you've thought about the one famous person that you'd like to meet if you could, I'd like for you to answer this question to yourself. Would your life actually change if you met that person? Would your life actually change if you met that person? You know, I think many of us would go to great lengths uh, to meet certain people, you know, celebrities, authors, sports stars, or uh, maybe your favorite actor. Yet it's highly unlikely that our lives would actually be changed after meeting these people. I mean, sure, we'd have a great story to tell. We'd probably have some great pictures that we could share with our kids and maybe our grandkids down the road. But that's about it. You know, it certainly wouldn't be a life-changing, life-altering event. Well, fortunately, for one man in the Bible, going to great lengths to meet Jesus did produce some amazing results in his life. The man whose story we're going to learn about today um, experienced real life change after having an encounter with Jesus. I say that to mean his life was never the same. So as we continue our series, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 today. This morning, we're going to focus in on another unlikely encounter that Jesus had with an individual. And as we read today's passage, we'll be reminded yet again 
that God often uses the people we least expect. So Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a good look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated anyone on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I think it's ironic that the name Zacchaeus actually means righteous one. But this chief tax collector, he certainly wasn't living up to his name. Uh, To help finance their plans for world domination, the Roman government during Jesus' day placed a heavy tax on all the nations and all the peoples who were under their control. Uh, Many of the Jews actually opposed these taxes because they didn't want to support a secular government and their pagan gods. But in the end, they were still forced to pay. Tax collectors were some of the most unpopular people in all of Israel, I once heard another pastor describe these tax collectors in this way. It would have been like a high school student trying to sell drugs to your middle school student behind a gas station. Uh, The high school student representing the tax collector. That's how people viewed tax collectors in in Jesus' day. Um, They were hated by all for sure. Many of these tax collectors, they were Jews by birth, but they still chose to work for the Roman government because of the benefit that it added to their life. You see, the Roman government required people to pay a specific amount of tax. And to help collect these taxes, they would hire and send out publicans or tax collectors. It was common knowledge that these men would collect more taxes than what was actually required. And they did this so they could make themselves rich. You see, the more money they collected, the more income they could enjoy. So I think it's easy to see why tax collectors were hated so much. You know, John the Baptist even talked about this when tax collectors came to him to hear his message and to be baptized in the Jordan River. We go all the way back to Luke chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, and this is what we read. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? Well, he replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. So John the Baptist knew about what was happening. Other people knew. This was widely known. Zacchaeus was one of these corrupt tax collectors. He was a thief, a cheater, and a traitor who stole from his own people. But even though he was all of these things and so much more in the eyes of his own people, today we need to be reminded of an important truth. He was a precious lost sinner in the eyes of Jesus. And it's powerful to read about the life change that Zacchaeus experienced on that particular day when Jesus traveled through Jericho. 
If you're taking notes today, the first point that I want to touch on is this. A sinful man experienced childlike faith. A sinful man experienced childlike faith. We learn about this in verses 2 through 4. It says, There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Friends, when was the last time, if ever, that you saw a grown man run and climb a tree just to get a better view of someone or something? You know, in the East, just as it is here in the West, it's unusual for a man to run, especially a wealthy government official. Yet Zacchaeus ran down the street like a small child trying to follow a parade. And not only did he run, but but he also climbed a tree. I have four sons who are all under the age of 12. And I can tell you for sure that curiosity is a characteristic that they all share. I think Zacchaeus was moved by curiosity that day. There's a great quote from John Calvin that I want to share with you. John Calvin once wrote that curiosity and simplicity are a sort of preparation for faith. Curiosity and simplicity are a sort of preparation for faith. I think there's a lot of truth to these words. You know, I often see this in the life of someone who wants to learn more about Jesus. You know, they're, they're curious. They, they want to learn more. And this was certainly the case in Zacchaeus's life. Now, we don't know exactly what he was thinking, what was going through his mind, but whatever it was, it had enough of an effect on him that he was willing to set aside the opinions of others just to go and get a better look at Jesus. I mean, think about this. Here, here's a, a, a government official, someone who's collecting taxes for the Roman government, certainly hated by the Jews, his own people, and he does something that your typical professional would never do. He runs down the road, climbs a tree. He doesn't care what other people think. In Luke chapter 18, verse 17, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. I remember hearing this verse when I was a new believer, and I've thought about this verse a lot over the years. And what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when he says that um, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it? Well, let me first tell you what this verse does not mean. Receiving the kingdom of God like a child or having childlike faith does not mean having a lack of knowledge. It does not mean that we should be careless in our decision making or going to bed and forgetting simple instruction the very next day. All right, Receiving the kingdom of God like a child means having the simple, trusting attitude that a child would show a parent who loves them. So let me give you an example of this. Every morning before I go to work, um, I have to hug each one of my kids. Not only you know, do I want a morning hug, but they do as well. If I forget the morning hug, you better believe that I get a FaceTime call shortly after I get to work reminding me that I forgot the hug. And usually it's from my two youngest sons, either Elliot or Phillips, well, Elliot, he's my three-year-old. He's my youngest. Um, he'll actually sprint towards me down the hall. He'll turn the corner as fast as he can. He'll literally leap from the top of the stairs into my arms when I'm standing several steps down. Now, I think he's crazy because what if I wasn't paying attention? What if I wasn't looking? But he knows that I would drop whatever I was holding just to catch him, just to hug him. 
He knows that he's safe in my arms. Receiving the kingdom of God like a child means continually delighting in God's company through prayer. It's finding ways to read God's word enthusiastically, even when you're having a busy day. It's seeking God's help in any and all situations. It's relying on him for guidance and direction and trusting him explicitly. This is the kind of childlike faith that God wants all of us to have, the kind of dependence on him that he wants all of his children to have. I think having a resistance to this kind of dependence on God is what keeps a lot of so-called successful people from trusting in Jesus. I think another way to look at this is just to call it pride. We all struggle with this. Zacchaeus put his pride aside. He ran towards Jesus, even climbing a tree, just to get a closer look. And friends, if this isn't childlike faith, I don't know what is. The second point that I'd like to talk about today is this, that a seeking man became found. A seeking man became found. And we learn about this in verse 5 and 6. It says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Zacchaeus thought that he was the one who was seeking Jesus. But we need to learn here and be reminded Jesus was the one who was actually seeking him. Now, sure, you know, you look at verse 3 and it says Zacchaeus tried to get a better look at Jesus. He was too short to see over the crowd. There was some effort on his part to just be closer to Jesus. But when we read the story in context, we learn in verse 10 that the Son of Man, that's talking about Jesus, came to seek and save those who were lost. This is a truth that we see all throughout the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 11, I think is one of the clearest examples. It reminds us that the lost sinner is not the one who is actually seeking the perfect Savior. The perfect Savior is the one who is seeking the lost sinner. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve first sinned. We learn that they were the ones who were trying to hide from God, but God came and sought them out. When Jesus was ministering to people on earth, he was the one who sought out the lost. And today, through the Holy Spirit and through the ministry of the local church, he's still searching for lost sinners. We don't know exactly how God was working in Zacchaeus' heart to help prepare him for this encounter with Jesus. Was it Matthew or Levi, another former tax collector who had told him about Jesus? Were there other believers who were praying for him? Was Zacchaeus simply tired and worn down from only seeking after worldly things, never being fully satisfied? Did he long for something better, something real? We can't know any of these things for sure, but we can be reminded that a seeking Savior will always find a sinner who is looking for a new beginning. And on that particular day, a seeking man became found. Zacchaeus was looking for a new beginning. And Jesus found him. The third point that I want to talk about today is that a small man became big. A small man became big. We learn about this in verse 7 and 8. It says, But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. I think most people remember Zacchaeus for his height. 
In fact, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you probably remember the song about Zacchaeus. Now, I'm not going to sing it. I'll, I'll save you that this morning, but I will, I'll tell you the first two lines. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. You know, maybe you remember that. I think we often remember Zacchaeus for his height. But this encounter with Jesus is what he should be remembered for. Yes, he was short in stature, and he had a hard time doing things like seeing over a crowd, but he didn't allow his handicap to get in the way of him trying to get close to Jesus. You know, spiritually speaking, we're all short in stature. Romans 3.23 reminds us that everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. In fact, no one except for Jesus, can measure up to God's high and perfect standards. We're we're all too little or or too short to measure up. And the tragedy is that most people in our world today think they're big, when in reality, they're not. Instead of measuring ourselves by God's standards, we tend to measure ourselves by the world's standards. We measure ourselves by the amount of money we either have or don't have, by the kind of influence that we have in the lives of other people. Maybe the position of authority that we hold over others or the popularity that we have. The list goes on and on. The point is we tend to measure ourselves by what the world thinks. It's easy for a person to believe they have everything when in reality they have nothing if they don't know Christ. Zacchaeus was a man who seemed to have everything, at least in the world's eyes. But it wasn't until he put his faith in Jesus that He became what the Bible calls a true son of Abraham. This phrase that Jesus used, this just means that Zacchaeus became a child of God. And friends, that's as big as you can get. Zacchaeus was a small man who became big. Point number four, a poor man became rich. A poor man became rich. We learn about this truth in verse 9 and 10. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. So there's that that phrase again. Again, it just means that he became a child of God. The very last verse, I think, is one of the most important verses, if not the most important verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. In the eyes of the community that Zacchaeus was, was a part of, He was a wealthy man. He seemed like maybe he had his life together. But friends, appearances can be deceiving. I think that's why we learn early on to never judge a book by its cover. Now, in the book's case, the cover is usually kind of bad. But the content might be good. So we're encouraged to look past the cover. Well, in Zacchaeus' case, he had the appearance of a wealthy man. He had the appearance of having his life in order, you know, his house in order. But he was actually a bankrupt sinner who was desperately in need of God's grace and forgiveness. I think it's interesting that this is the only time throughout all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus was the one who invited himself over to someone else's house. Now, sure, there are several times that he eats in the homes of someone else. He ate in the home of tax collectors, sinners, religious leaders, whatever the case is. But this is the only time that I can find that Jesus invites himself And when I read this story, I'm reminded of Revelation 3.20, which says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus was knocking on the door of Zacchaeus' heart. And you know what? He knocks on the door of our hearts as well. 
Jesus wants us to know him. But for that to happen, we actually have to open the door of relationship and let him in. Last week, I shared the important truth about how God is patient with all of us. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but giving everyone the opportunity to believe, repent, and come to him in faith. God is patient. That's an important characteristic that we need to learn about God. But he's also persistent. He's persistent in trying to get through to us. And he'll never break and enter. It's not, it's not a robbery. Right? He's not going to force his way in. But he will keep knocking. He's persistent in that way. And he allows us to decide whether or not to open up the door of our lives to him. Zacchaeus experienced God's grace and forgiveness that day. He wasn't saved because he promised to do good works, although doing good works is always a byproduct of saving faith. He was saved because he responded to Jesus' invitation through faith. And having put his faith in Christ, he then looked for opportunities to put his faith to work by promising to make things right with the people whom he'd wronged. This is a great reminder for all of us that saving faith is more than just words and feelings. See, saving faith creates a living union with Christ that results in a changed life. Let me say that again. That's an important phrase. That's an important statement. Saving faith always creates a living union with Christ that results in a changed life. We see this throughout the New Testament, but maybe most clearly in the book of James. In fact, after Easter, my plan is to walk us through the book of James over the course of five weeks. And as we do, we're going to be given a practical guide for Christian living, what it means to live our lives for Jesus. And we'll be reminded for sure that we are saved solely by God's grace through faith in Jesus. But we're also going to be reminded that true saving faith will always produce good works. You know, for the very first time in his life, Zacchaeus experienced true riches. He experienced the riches of God's mercy of his grace and forgiveness, the riches of God's wisdom and friendship, and the riches of having a real purpose in life. A poor man with a big bank account became rich in Christ. And what Zacchaeus experienced that day is still available to all people today. I have two short points of application for you that you can take with you today. Number one is this, that Jesus wants everyone to come to him. He wants everyone to know him. Jesus had a heart for the people that his own society rejected. And guess what? He has a heart for the people that our society rejects today as well. Throughout the Gospels, we read about how the religious leaders became upset with Jesus because of this very thing. He was ministering to, to sinners and tax collectors. They were upset about this. They were upset that Jesus himself declared that he came for sinners, not for people who think they're righteous. Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 says, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Friends, this truth that Jesus wants everyone to come to him, this should drive Our mission as a church, our mission is to make more and better disciples, is to reach people with the gospel. This truth should help drive that mission. Regardless of who you are, where you're from, or what you look like, what your background is, Jesus wants all of us to come to him. We're called to love God and love people. You know, there's no 
exception to that. As we love people, the best way to do so is to teach people this awesome truth that God loves them and he wants them to to believe in him, to repent, to be baptized into Christ and to live their life for Jesus. So Jesus wants everyone to come to him. The second truth is one that I wrote down and completely forgot that I had shared last week. But I think it's important to to restate this. I mean, this is kind of becoming uh, the backbone or the theme of this series. And that is that an encounter with Jesus produces a changed life. An encounter with Jesus produces a changed life. You know, when a person places their faith in Jesus, God changes that person from the inside out. Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus. And he did a 180 degree turn. His life was never the same. And because of this, his behavior, his priorities, everything changed. He gave generously to the poor and paid back four times the amount he owed to anyone whom he had cheated. When a person truly knows Jesus, their life is changed forever. That change affects everything about them. Their behavior, their priorities, their relationships, you name it. Everything changes. So a final question for you today. Do you truly know Jesus Have you received God's free gift of grace and forgiveness by placing your faith in Christ, repenting of sin and being baptized into Christ? Does the way that you live your life demonstrate to the world that you are a new creation in Christ? If not, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And all you have to do is open the door and let him in.